Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to episode 31 of the Scaling Your Business podcast. My guest today is Charlie Gleason, the founder and CEO of Zip Mobility. Charlie, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me on, Ray. Delighted to have you on. As usual, I want to go back to the early days with all our guests. No different with you. I'm going to make an assumption that you grew up around the Black Rock area. I did indeed. Yeah, I grew up in kind of Fox Rock Cabin TV. Uh, sorry, I lost the audio there for a sec. Um, all good. Grew up in Fox Rock uh, Cabin Teeley. And, uh, you know, very normal childhood, I guess. Charlie, you've said to me you grew up in South Dublin for our international guests. We won't get more specific. Do you have any standout memories or... Uh, yeah, favorite memories from growing up. Sure. Uh, yeah, look, my childhood was fairly normal. I think, uh, like a lot of kids, just playing a lot of football and stuff like that outside the house in the estate. Um, most of the kids were a few years older than me, which I, which would probably stood to me in in later life. I think. Um, but yeah, like in terms of memories, I suppose I'd have to say, you know, I spent a lot of time surfing in the summers um, in Connemara. Uh, we had a mobile home down there. Uh, and that was like a, a crazy passion of mine from age probably seven to 15 or 16. And um, probably don't get out as much as I'd like to. But yeah, that would probably be, you know, when I think of my childhood, I, I always think of uh, surfing in Connemara. Have you got a favorite place you've surfed or have you just, is, have you stuck to Connemara? I've surfed like in plenty of places around the world and, you know, States and Thailand and a few others, uh, Portugal and stuff like that. Uh, I think, you know, my favorite spot is, is a place called Dunlocken in uh, Connemara in Ballycanely. Uh, it's not the best waves. It's, it's messy enough, but at the same time, it's just kind of a, it's symbolic. It just represents like peacefulness for me. Like I, I love getting out there. Beautiful, beautiful. It's a it's a great place of the world for anyone who hasn't visited. Who were your early influences as you were growing up? I think I had a I had a second cousin uh, who I never told anyone he was my second cousin. He was always my first cousin, uh, but he was uh, Keith Gleason. He was a rugby player. Uh, you know, he was a flanker, played for Leinster, few caps for Ireland. But uh, growing up, yeah, I was always completely obsessed with him. Um, and any chance I could get, I'd, I'd meet up with him to you know toss the rugby ball. Um, you know, I think uh, later on in my life, I think, you know, my parents became a lot more kind of influential from a business perspective, my dad as well. And um, so my dad, you know, had, um, uh, you know, Gleason's of Booterstown is a, it's a pub in, in Booterstown. It's my family business. And, um, you know, he's, there's been a lot of innovation in that place over the last kind of, you know, decade. Um, and yeah, th- he's played a big role in that. So, you know, I probably as a, as a stubborn teenager didn't really appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, like he's a, such a hard worker and uh, always pushing to, to for improvements and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, probably later on in life, he yeah, I think uh, he's become more influential. I'd say. Epic. You spent some time working in the pub that you've just mentioned, five six years, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, any lessons you learned there that still stand to you to today? Absolutely. Yeah. Like you know, <laughs> I, well, I was there for. Yeah, I think. The, the law would probably say I was there for five or six years, but I remember, you know, uh, New Year's Eve when I was about 15 in, in behind the bar pulling points for people. Um, never did so well on tips because like, you know, a little child pretty much there pulling yeah. your points. Probably shouldn't be saying that, but anyway, uh, yeah, it was, um, I learned a huge amount in the pub, you know, similar to, 
you know, some countries have uh, compulsory, you know, military training. I think everyone in Ireland should do a stint in a pub. I think it, it teaches Agreed. you a huge amount about, uh, you know, communication skills, how to deal with high pressure situations, stuff like that. But in, in general, I think my communication skills, you know, would never be as they are today if, if I hadn't done that stint in, in, in a pub. Agreed. Agreed. Let's move on to business um, while also keeping it conversational. One thing in my research that I noticed, and I'm reading some of my notes here in case you look at me from looking to the side, the UK government fast-tracked any legal issues around uh, e-scooters. You spoke about launching in this particular clip. You spoke about launching in seven locations. I don't know if you've launched in those locations, but you said, unlike your competitors, which were mammoths in revenue uh, predictions compared to you, you wanted to grow at a slower rate. Not many people come out and say that publicly. Why do you want to grow at a slower rate? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Like, you know, we've got what's called a sustainable growth model. So for those people who don't know, Zip is a Dublin-based scooter sharing company, like currently operating across the UK. Um, and, you know, we still intend to grow very quickly, but at a slower rate, yes, than our competitors. So when I came up with the idea for Zip, okay, it was like, I was looking at this massive, massive industry that was happening on the West Coast of America, which was scooter sharing. I saw, you know, say Bird, for example, the, the first scooter sharing company, they hit a valuation of $1 billion uh, after two months of launching. It was the quickest ever company to hit unicorn status. Phenomenal stuff. They grew into 100 markets in their first 12 months. Now, you know, I kind of uh, started looking at this and started looking into a lot of detail and, and quickly started picking up on a lot of the mistakes that these guys were making. Now, look, there was a lot of things they were doing right, but, you know, long term, there were a few things that weren't really working out for them. Like, you know, and one of these things, I can go into that maybe in a bit more detail later, but one of the things was that they were growing at a rate and um, that they were really pissing off local authorities. So they were either entering a market uh, without asking for permission from the local authority, uh, or they were just growing at a scale, like they were scaling five, six, seven hundred scooters into a market within a few weeks. Uh, and, you know, it just bombards the people and it causes huge problems. So when we say we're going to grow at a slower rate, we mean like we're going to grow at a rate that we believe um, where we can still give the local authority the time they need to ensure that the, the scooter sharing rollout is successful. So it's like this tailored approach where you're actually putting the local authority first and not revenue and not the, uh, the, um, the user necessarily. Like we see uh, most scooter sharing companies would see the user as, you know, like the only, only really stakeholder you need to be thinking about. Whereas we kind of see three, we see the user, we see the local authority and we see other pedestrians. Okay. Because if you can't keep all three of those groups happy, uh, it's never going to work out for you um, because, you know, the local authorities are the gatekeepers to win business. Like we need to win tenders with local authorities. We need to keep them happy. We need to keep the general public happy because if we don't keep them happy, they complain to the council, the council under pressure to get rid of the scooter sharing operation. So there's, there's kind of a, this, and obviously you need to keep the user happy as well. So like putting kind of this uh, council centric approach or this like, you know, idea that, you know, the council is the gatekeeper to business, keep them happy and treat them as a customer. So yeah, that's kind of the idea behind the sustainable growth. Now, you know, if relative to the industry, it's, it's slower levels of growth, but if you didn't know anything about the industry, you'd be like, Jesus, Zip are, you know, up and running for 12 months and they're already in Ireland, the UK, Poland, Portugal, blah, blah. So, you know, we're still growing and there's no question about that. It's just, a, it's just a slightly slower rate. Epic. And a quote comes to mind when I think of the other unicorns that you've mentioned. It's, uh, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission, but I think you flipped that on its head and you've gone and want to work closely with the authorities so that you don't 
annoying anyone and you can grow at a proper rate. I like it. Um, I got to give congrats to you on your LinkedIn. One of your LinkedIn posts, recent one was named founder of the year at the 2021 Nova UCD Innovation Awards. Others like Bobby Healy and Brian Caulfield have won awards from you know UCD or Nova UCD. How does that make you feel that you're up there with a list like that? <laughs> that, that sounds very flattering. Thank you very much. I, I don't... Not that I don't appreciate it, okay? Like, I think I think those awards are great. I think they should be celebrated. Uh, I haven't won many awards in my life, so uh, always always appreciate uh, any kind of recognition like that. But uh, at the same time, you know, I think it's just credit to the team around me. Like, you know, I, I founded Zip, you know, and I'm the CEO of Zip. But at the same time, like, we've got an amazing team around us, and, and that's what I'm really proud of. When we win awards like that, it's recognition of the work that the Zip team is doing, not the work that Charlie Gleason is doing. So I think that's just really important to note. So it's it's not this kind of self-centered Pat Charlie on the back. It's kind of like we got a hamper for that. And I remember we brought it down and everyone tore into it. Like it's not it's not Charlie's hamper, it's Zip's hamper, yeah. you know? So um, no, it's great. It's great to get the recognition for the company. Um, you know, it's great for the profile of the company. Um, like Nova UCD are obviously incredible and well-regarded. But yeah, it, it's a team award. They're, they're all team awards. Respect. When I think of Charlie, I think of one word patience how important is patience especially in the sector you're in yeah patience is, is so important like um you know it's it's a general tip that i'd have for any aspiring entrepreneurs is to be patient but you know like we were launching like take it back a couple of years like zip when we, we came up with the idea for zip it was like okay we want to launch a scooter sharing company in a market where there's multiple billion dollar companies and scooters are illegal in Ireland and the UK, the markets we were initially going after. So patience was always going to be really, really important for us. It was always going to be a marathon, not a sprint. Um, you know, from, from business plan to first pound generated in revenue was 625 days. So like, you know, there was a lot there that had to go in, but we used the time really, really well. We used the time to, you know, research the market, uh, really come up with a, an approach that's different to our competitors which we've managed to do and um and yeah uh, like you know no time wasted but at the same time yeah patience i think for any startup it doesn't matter what industry you're in is always going to be really important great things don't happen quickly like um you know there's a lot of graft a lot of hard work and um yeah it, it's, it's always going to be a bit of a marathon trying to get a business off the ground you sound passionate about the business and i'm, I'm sure you've got to be to start a business but what drives you it's a good question um Impact. Um, I think that is the biggest driver. Like, you know, in the last four months, we've had 60,000 odd journeys, you know, and the data would show that around 25 to 35% of those car, uh, of those journeys uh, replace car journeys uh, and cars would have been taken if that scooter sharing option wasn't there. So, mm. you know, we're looking at kind of 15,000 odd uh, car journeys that have been replaced so far in just such a small nice. uh, space of time. Um, and I think from an environmental perspective, you know, that's great. Also, just like there's, there's this mad feeling when you launch a scooter sharing company in a market, just understanding that we're putting these scooters out tomorrow and the way people move in this market or the city is going to change forever. Like, you know, people are going to commute via the scooter. It's going to become like a part of their life. Uh, so like, yeah, I think impact is huge. I think, you know, I love running the business. I, I, like, I'm, I'm absolutely passionate about that. I love going in every day. I love, you know, the team that we've built around us. And I love this idea of, of just continuing to grow continuing to improve you know there's a lot of other scooter sharing companies so a lot of you know what we're doing comes down to strategy and execution and just keeping it so tight uh, and that's what we need to do that's what we need to focus on and that's going to be the, the goal for the next for the foreseeable 
some of the other business owners who have who have had the pleasure of speaking to over the last couple of weeks, uh, their business was born from a problem they went through for months or weeks or years, and they decided to solve it. Never intended it for it to become as big as it did. Uh, one particular guy went into a coffee shop or bought the same coffee from a coffee shop, and he started texting the other coffee shop, and then it bu- built it into an app. Um, Luke. Yes, I didn't want to mention him because I know he owns Bolton. I know that is somewhat no, of a competitor. I know Luke well. I know Luke well. He's a great guy. Okay, um, so, awesome. Yeah. Uh, but is yeah, there a similar uh, story for yourself? I, I Not necessarily. Like, you know, I had the personal frustration, of course, of public transport in Dublin. I think every everyone that, uh, you know, goes through a period of their life without a car in Dublin will appreciate, you know, the public transport is not very connected here in Dublin. Mm. Um, you know, I, I live in, you know, Dublin suburb and I have to walk around three four kilometers to the nearest bus stop uh, to get to the N11 and, and, and get on the bus so that was always frustrating you know as soon as I could get a car I did uh, because you know it was just you, you can't be walking seven kilometers every day uh, well you can but it's you know driving is easier so yeah. um, you know that understanding of public that public transport is really unconnected disconnected in Ireland was was a starting point so yeah, like when I when I you know saw this business, it definitely resonated with me for sure. You know, it, it, like in the states, and I thought it'd be a great idea to bring it here to Ireland. I thought it was a no-brainer. The demand w- was massive in the states uh, compared to even that of bike sharing. So like that was one of the really interesting things. It was like, you know, there was like ten x demand for scooter sharing than that of bike sharing. So I knew it was going to be you know big here, but at the same time, I definitely uh, didn't expect it to. My ambition at the start wasn't as high as it was here or as it is now. So, you know, when I started Zip, the ambition was to launch scooter sharing service in Dublin. And that was it. And it was just like, okay, let's get onto a university in Ireland. The plan was to, you know, get onto a university campus or multiple university campuses. So we'd have these beachheads so that when legislation changed, we'd be able to, uh, you know, launch our service in Dublin city. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then it kind of said, well, why not the rest of Ireland? Okay. And then it was like, okay, let's, we're going to be the Irish scooter sharing company. That's the plan. And then, you know, COVID struck this and that. The UK market was opening up and there was a big pivot. There was a big pivot towards, okay, we need to change our strategy from Irish universities to UK cities. Uh, we kind of mixed around our business plan a little bit. Um, you know, we had a few investors lined up. We pitched them the new idea uh, and they loved it. All got on board. We had everything ready to go. And within, you know, three weeks, we had, you know, 300K and we had a team of people that were tendering for licenses in the UK. So it was a really, really quick turnaround. Um, Anyway, long story short, I suppose once we started winning licenses in the UK, we were technically like a born global company. You know, we were a company operating from Dublin, operating in international markets. Um, and when that happened, our ambition just skyrocketed. It was like, okay, if we can do this in the UK, there's no reason why we can't do it anywhere else in Europe. So if we were, if we had started out in Dublin, I think it would have been much harder to get that leap into international markets. But now we're fearless when it comes to international markets and, and we're really excited to, to grow into mainland Europe this year. I know you've spoke internationally there, but one of the things I noticed was that you're working with the Irish guide dogs for the blind. Can you talk to me about how that came about? Yeah, it's very, it's very cool. Like, you know, um, like we, we've kind of been through the ring of the UK. Like we, we know what the crack is with, uh, you know, tenders and, you know, the pain points for scooter sharing companies. We have a lot of experience now. And one thing that we found to be really important was building up a good relationship with the RNIB and the blind groups in, in the, in the UK because, um, you know, they're disproportionately affected by poorly parked electric scooters. Okay. So again, this is something that we do slightly differently. If you have seen scooter sharing schemes across Europe, 
or across anywhere in the world. Yep. Generally, scooter, um, scooter operators allow their users to pick up their scooters and drop them off anywhere. So this is great from the user's perspective because they can go anywhere they want, but it's, not a, it's terrible for uh, other vulnerable road users or other pedestrians, particularly elderly people or people with visual impairments because you know, they cause trip hazards. And you know, disproportionately, they're more affected if the footpath's being blocked. So what we've firstly done is we have a system where you must start and end your journey from parking bays. So we've got painted parking bays all over every city that we operate in so that users have to start and end their journey there. And we use GPS technology to ensure that the scooters are actually parked in those bays. And um, yep. so that's the first thing that we have. And the reason we've teamed up with the guide dogs was because, okay, guide dogs aren't trained to navigate around electric scooters. Scooters are going to be legalized here in Ireland and they're gonna be all over the place. Yes, they'll be parked appropriately. Still, they're gonna be you know, uh, on, you know, in public space. Um, mm -hmm. So we said, okay, let's get ahead of the curve. Let's train every single guide dog in Ireland to navigate around a zip electric scooter. So we've you know, donated scooters up to the, the, the guide dogs uh, and they've spent, you know, every single guide dog in Ireland now is trained to navigate around a zip electric scooter or will be in the next couple of months. So that training is going on now. So, you know, it's just preemptive. It means that when we launch, you know, we've already got buy-in from, from one of these communities. Now there's going to be so many other stakeholders that we need to engage with and work with before we launch in the market. But it all comes back to our mob mobility done right approach. Um, you know, we're here to say, we're not here to, you know, get a few quid and leave. You know, we want to create long-term relationships with every local authority we, we're working with. You're a smart man. You're a smart man. Um, what do you like to do outside of work? Uh, I love to go for a few pints. Uh, I love you know, a bit of socializing and stuff like that. I love to surf when I can. Uh, that's the thing I'm trying to do uh, more and more, obviously. Um, you know, I'm in a cast at the moment, so that's going to be a few weeks. But um, yeah, just love getting outside, I think. You know, um, I think more than ever, people are just stuck inside. Mm. It just can't be more important for your mental health to just get out as much as you can obviously limited at the moment but yeah i'd say you know surfing bit of sport gym and, and socializing would be, would be the main ones i'm blown away with how fast you've grown but also how smart's the wrong word to use you know when i mentioned the award you didn't bounce it back off yourself you kind of accepted it but also said that it's not all not it's not all me um and you're working with stakeholders and you've got a really intelligent approach uh, don't want to discredit that, but I do want to ask, have you got any mentors or guides that you go to to help? Loads. Um, you know, uh, I think our, our mentors have kind of evolved in the different stages of our business. You know, the mentors that we had, you know, they don't all last the whole way through your business and we're still picking up some amazing mentors now. And I think that's always going to be the case. Um, you know, yeah, I, I've, got, I've got kind of a group of people that I, I would meet with quite regularly uh, separately to discuss any kind of like some of them are investors some of them aren't but to discuss any issues that are kind of pressing or things difficulties i might be having you know internally on the team or you know we we, we scaled very quickly and how to put a bit of structure on the team and, and manage you know going from a one to 20 person team and stuff like that so i've always had great people around me to help me which is which is excellent uh, you know some are former employers and stuff like that so um yeah definitely so so important to, to be able to go to different people with different sets of expertise. You know, we've got advisors that are industry experts, you know, that are thought leaders in the micro mobility industry. Some that are just finance gurus and some that are just, you know, have just you know, run many businesses and are serial entrepreneurs. So I think it's really, really important to build that network around you at the start, you know, and I, I always kind of laugh about 
out for the first you know 12 months when I was trying to get Ziv off the ground I'd always talk about us and everyone would ask who is us like it's just you but like in my head there was a massive team there was a lot of team of you know advisors people from Nova UCD or whoever it might have been because in my head they were all you know in, in their eyes they were just you know picking up the phone once a month but that was the team that I was kind of uh you know representing back then yeah or felt like I was representing yeah 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 uh, what's your favorite aspect of being an entrepreneur it's a, a tough one I think I think there's a lot of it like you know like I think um I love the idea of coming up with a business and a strategy you know on paper how can we win and then implementing it and seeing that come to fruition like I think just the whole process of actually seeing a business come to fruition it's you get emotional like it's it's uh it's great and it's just I think we're only getting started but um yeah, I think that just the whole idea of having an idea uh, and just implementing it. And I'm not talking about zip in general. I'm talking about like, you know, small different bits of entrepreneurship that someone yeah, yeah. brings up at a group meeting and we go, go, let's do it. Yeah, take that and run with it. Uh, and, and just seeing that come out in, in real life. It's just like, you know, the exposure that we're all getting is just incredible. And like, um, just, yeah, everyone's learning, you know, so much so quickly. Uh, and it's, it's, yeah, it's great. Like, really really it's it's so um it's it's just yeah it's it's yeah it's just so fun no i get you i it, it what well, i think what you're what one of the things you're getting at is and i was chatting to a, a bloke called dave sherry he's irish but he's in amsterdam at the moment yesterday and he says that and we both agreed that it was the process that we enjoy most about owning a business or building a business uh, the ups, the downs, the the challenges, the the pivots, the the and you reference it, the entrepreneurship as well. Um, yeah, like got, it's, it, sorry, go on. Go on. No, no, go on. Yeah, like it, it's 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 great. Like the process is excellent, and don't get me wrong, the process is absolutely traumatizing of trying to get a startup off the ground. Like it's difficult. Uh, it's that I I just can't. You know, that's what they say. You know, parenting and uh, and uh, startups are the two hardest things you'll do. But you know. I've never done the parenting side, but I can tell you that this is parenting is anything like this. I don't know if I want to go down that route, <laughs> um, but uh, I'm sure the fulfillment element is, is even sweeter, but uh, no, look, I think, yeah, it's, it's been an incredible process so far. It, it's really tough, uh, which makes it even more fulfilling when things start to come off. Three final questions for you, Charlie. First one is where's the first place you're traveling to when borders open again? Probably, uh, I, can't, I can't say, but uh, the markets that we're launching in, in, uh, in uh, ah, Poland gotcha. and, and uh, yeah. Portugal. So that'll be the first nice. places we're going. I'm going to take a wild guess that you're in an apartment at the moment. I am. I'm in a, a little uh, small apartment in Rathmines. Nice. If that was to burn down, and I don't know if you've got a girlfriend or a dog or a cat, but let's say everything is safe, what one thing would you want to take with you from the My apartment? Laptop. My laptop. My laptop. 100%. Yeah. Nice. Final question. I want you to imagine it's the end of the decade, so it's 2030, and you're looking back on the last 10 years. What would you hope to have achieved within that span? At the end of this decade? Yes. So imagine it's now 2030, and you're looking back. What would you like to be having looking back on and going, we launched there, we did that. I don't know if it is an exit. I don't know if you, if you can even say that, but what would you like to have achieved? Again, it kind of comes back to impact. Like in, in for, From the business perspective, I would hope, like I, I think that you know zip will be replacing tens of millions of car journeys per year i think we're going to have hundreds of staff operating 
all across Europe and probably in America, I'd say three continents. Um, and yeah, maybe maybe we'll have, we will have uh, exited by then. I think there's going to be consolidation in the market, and um, you know the way we're going, I think that that's uh, definitely going to be an option down the line. Amazing. I want to thank you for your time today, and uh, I hope that in 2030 all those things do come true. Well, thank you very much, Ryan. I really appreciate it.